is the Movie Hall of Fame, class of Albert Brooks, for Thursday, June 10th, 2021, across the table from me. Uh, oh, I don't have a, what? A quippy intro. Why not? The, Demi Re- the Debbie Reynolds to my Carrie Fisher, does that make sense? <laughs> Debbie Reynolds. That was a stretch. Yeah, I'm we, sorry. We ain't, uh, well, this is a problem, like, <laughs> we're neither of those people, but you're definitely not Carrie Fisher <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Um, hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm I'm old dandy here. Yeah, <laughs> as, as Nick and I are fond of saying, we're dandy. We're talking to Albert Brooks today, the famed actor, and also whether you knew it or not, screenwriter and director. I knew it. Yeah, I was aware of it. One of my secret obsessions. Um, a guy that I have admired for quite some time. I, I first began my fandom of him when uh, I saw him in broadcast news. That's like one of the great eighties performances. Great. I, I adore him in that movie. And of course I've enjoyed Albert books over the years, finding Nemo drive. He plays a great gangster in drive. It's actually my favorite performance by Albert Brooks is his perf- performance in drive. Wow. More than broadcast news. Yep. Wow. Yep. He's great and everything. The guy um, last year, Criterion Collection put out the directed by Albert Brooks collection on their streaming service, the Criterion Channel. All five of the movies that we're going to talk about today were made available on there. That's when I really started digging in and I watched most of these movies. Um, So, Albert Brooks. It seems a little random. It's not really apropos of anything. (laughs) I was curious about this. So, did you watch these movies before like like had you seen all of them before you came up with the idea all of them no how many did you you need to watch uh i needed to watch two okay yeah okay because i was a little confused by this okay um i i think i think our conversation about ourselves is going to be fine (laughs) but it's like a film conversation i'm i'm not sure this is a great idea okay (laughs) uh did you not enjoy yourself they're fine movies, Nico. <laughs> Across the board, they're fine movies. You do this a lot. They are, but like, we've talked about a lot of movies like this. Yes. Of all movies like this. I've watched a lot of movies like yes. this. Yes. Uh, th- th- as far as I'm concerned, there's only one great film on this list. Okay. There's one that's very good and one that's super entertaining. And then there's two others, which like, I don't understand how you could possibly care for. Um and I guess like I kind of feel the same way, although maybe a bit stronger. I think there is one movie on here that is a bona fide classic and that like does stuff that I had never seen done in a romantic comedy before. We definitely I know which one it is. And I yeah. agree, I agree with you it, to to, a, to an extent. I'm, I'm not sure I call it a, a bona fide classic, but it's a great movie. Yeah. No matter how you swing it. Um, yeah. I guess what I'm what I'm getting at here is like. Uh, like it's how, Woody karaoke. Is how, that really what you're trying to say? How much more do you, could you possibly have to say about movies like this? I have a lot to say, actually. My wow. notes are really long. I mean, yeah, I, I honestly, yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about this shit in the same way that maybe you think about the design of a xenomorph. I think a lot about <laughs> like, yeah, movies by middle-aged dudes in the eighties, uh, the design of a xenomorph. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I, I mean, I think about like middle-aged angst and, uh, narcissism the same way that you think about yeah, zombie movies. Or, there's a di- distinction between a zombie movie and an alien movie. I don't know what the... Di- there's not a tremendous amount of distinction between these and s- I get some it. of Woody's movies. Many of Woody's films. I get it. Yes. They're, um, 
to, to call it Woody karaoke. I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. I think a few of these movies are like explicitly inspired by Woody Allen. Yes. Like Woody Allen to a fault, but just not as funny. Um, frankly, some of them, I think improve on the formula that Woody Allen laid out. One in particular, I, I just think all, all the bad things you could say about Woody Allen movies, um, is what's right with this movie. Yep. Um, so we'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. I really like this guy. I like Albert Brooks. Me too. I, I find him to be just endlessly interesting on screen. His face is so perfect. His neck. It's, it's, it's a very <laughs> cinematic neck, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, there's something so strangely affable about him because he's like, he is a, he's Woody Allen. If Woody Allen, if you looked at Woody Allen and you'd be afraid that he could beat the shit out of you. Uh huh. Yeah. Al, Albert Brooks is like sort of an intimidating presence, you know? Well, that's what Nicholas Winding Refn said. Yeah. About Albert Brooks. And I have that in my notes when we get to Lost in America, but there's that scene in Lost in America where he's chewing out his wife for losing their entire nest egg. And Nicholas Winding Refn saw that scene as a child in the theater. Really? Saw how intimidating he came across in that scene and said, oh, yeah, maybe he would work as a violent mafia boss. And just unhinged in all the right ways. I've always felt that Albert Brooks has this tremendous amount of nervousness that sort of defines like, like the, the, why we keep comparing him to Woody is that he's got that, but he knows how to lash out. Like, like I've, I, the distinction is that like Woody is not a very angry person to me. Yes. He's, he's upset generally and very depressed and, but you're always like sort of laughing at his expense and he's a sad puppy dog. Too. Yes, exactly. And he plays that up in his movies, Absolutely. even though in real life he's more of a predator, but Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, no, you see him and you think, Oh, so cute. This, this middle-aged man child that mm-hmm. doesn't know how to talk to women still. Yeah. Whereas like Albert Brooks is just like, like a bear, yes. you know, <laughs> yes. he is unhinged and he knows how to control it and he knows how to use that yes. really well. Whenever he turns the temperature up broadcast news, especially, I mean, that's another unhinged performance. It's a great, it's yeah, it's, it, I think technically probably his best performance, I guess. I don't, I don't know though. His performance in drive is quite good, but I, I understand great everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he is terrific at everything. So like he has those superpowers. He has those moves that you wish Woody had. Um, but in the same way that Woody sort of falls into the same formula by movie four or five on this list, I can definitely see you rolling your eyes being like, God, we're doing mommy issues again. Were you not rolling your eyes? Come on. No, I was. Okay. I, no, I certainly was. And I understand why you would be too. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes to show you like how incredible a career Woody Allen has. I mean, <laughs> when you really think about it, like as much as you want to say, oh, he's doing the same thing over and over again, he's done the same thing over and over again for 40 years and it's remained entertaining and engaging. Like sure. that, that really shows, you know, if a one trick pony has a really good trick, sure. That can last you a long time in this business. Sure. No, I agree. By movie five, Albert Brooks is kind of out of steam. He's only made seven movies total directorially. Um, you know, obviously he started out as a stand-up comedian, wrote on SNL, um, had a lot of guest appearances on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. But around the 80s, he decided that he wanted to pursue this filmmaking thing full time. And uh, that's where we begin our journey. 1979 is uh, the release of Real Life followed by Modern Romance in 1981, Lost in America in 1985, Defending Your Life in 1991, and Mother in 1996. Not included on this list, a movie that he made with Sharon Stone in 1999 called The Muse, and a movie he made in 2005 called Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World, where he plays himself going overseas, attempting to bring laughs to the Middle East. 
Good for you, Albert Brooks. I have not seen those other two movies. They look very interesting. But he's only made seven, and uh, probably make more. Yeah, maybe he might make more. Maybe Finding Nemo three. Yeah, he's got it. He'll do it. <laughs> I also I also think by the way, just this guy like it like I guess is sort of an aside, but um, just the king of the mental brain breakdown now, as far as I'm concerned, just yes. no more like the most interesting mental breakdowns I've ever seen on screen. Yeah, you know, it's just wonderful. I just, I got oh my god, I got so excited in real life when when he finally gets to that point. It is out of this world. <laughs> the best. Man. It's so good. <laughs> So yeah, he has all of the Woody stuff. He has the self-obsessed, um, like uh, neurotic characters. He has like the pretty simple cinematography. He has the problematic, toxic relationships with women. Um, you know, and all these characters for the most part are either East Coast or West Coast elites. Yes, they're white collar characters. A lot of time they are in show business. Mm-hmm. They're editors. They're actors. They're writers. Uh, you know, Scorsese said, write what you know, and that's what you sometimes get. Woody Allen is often criticized for the same thing. And I know when Jabril was on the show, he said the same thing about Woody Allen's characters. It's like, do you really need to be traveling within the New York bourgeoisie to understand the sense of humor here? But there's something schlubby about Albert Brooks. I just think he's like, I would love to be friends with Albert Brooks. He just seems like a great guy. Uh-huh. Very, like you said, just a very, very interesting person. I, I, but I think that's reflected in his movies to a degree. I think just generally speaking like a albert brooks character or an albert brooks version of woody allen is a little more likable than your standard woody allen character yes well he's not afraid to look like a schlub no no absolutely not and that's part of the reason why it's so effective or endearing whatever you want to call it but like i like i generally speaking i I like a lot of those uh existential journeys he's going on (laughs) he doesn't make excuses for himself no and i think that is the key difference between him and woody Mm -hmm. is that you are meant to sympathize with a uh, Woody Allen character. Whereas the uh, Albert Brooks character, you can like him or not, whatever. Like we're just going to unravel this, um, this psyche of, of his and see where it ends up. And, and yeah, good or bad. Isn't really part of the equation. He'll tell you why too. That's the other thing in a way where it's like, yeah, I don't deserve this. I, I suck. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not fixing my problems or, and, and this is an attempt to, I don't know, do so yeah. as we figure out later in his, in, in his uh, filmography here. But yeah, I agree. I like, like he's not nearly as delusional as what he right. is. That's the key. Right, right, right. Um, but maybe you have to be a little delusional to make great art. I think that might be the bottom line. Yes. Here. Uh, yeah. An interesting journey through the late seventies to late nineties. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I agree. I do think like this is the equivalent of doing like the best of Ron Howard though. Okay. You know, like, like we don't need to do a Ron Howard pod. We could nominate some of his movies, uh-huh. but do we really need to do a whole podcast about <laughs> Ron Howard? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you see them as inconsequential. Some of these are inconsequential. I think absolutely. But, uh, like I said, there is, there's, there's a conversation with at least three of these films. Okay. Let's get into it then. Unless you okay. want to bring up any movies you had seen this week that, that were... These are the only movies I've ever seen in my life. Okay. No. <laughs> it's a tough life. <laughs> so I have no context, really. Yeah. T- <laughs> no, I should say I saw Nobody. I saw... Uh, uh, was I right about Nobody or was I right yeah, about Yeah, nobody. nobody was a lot of fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun. It's like I said, it's like it's, it's not reinventing the wheel at all. It's basically a John Wick karaoke, but it's good John Wick karaoke and Bob Odenkirk is just... 
like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like fuck yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> like give him all of these roles for till the end of time. He's, give him every role he's in Hollywood. So good. He's just like in that bus scene is like gonna go down as like one of my favorite action scenes ever. Yeah. It's just so so wonderful again. And and I I was talking about this with you and Nick um, uh, off mic or or not really. We just through through our chat. And I was saying like God, it's so satisfying to see our hero get the shit kicked out of him mm. and still persevere. Like like <laughs> the moment he gets thrown out of the bus spoiler and then gets back up and walks inside yeah. is the most satisfying thing I've ever seen in a while. Yeah. It's, oh, man. it's cool seeing your heroes get hurt. Uh, just a great, just deep bench of character actors too. Christopher Lloyd's in it. Um, Killing it. But oh my God. The theater fucking loved Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Loved him. Rizza's in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's terrific. I mean, it is of course just John wick again. Um, I don't think it's a great movie, but for what it is, it's, it's like, like you said, it's so much better than I think it, it should have been. I defended the guy that directed Hardcore Henry to the death, man. I haven't seen Hardcore Henry. And, so. and you know what? I feel vindicated. I feel vindicated today. All right. Um, I also watched uh, Bo Burnham's Inside. Have you gotten a chance to see that yet? Yep. And what'd you think? Good. Okay. Yeah, it's not bad. Is it not really your style of comedy? No, I didn't. I didn't laugh once throughout the entire thing. Right. I actually found it pretty obnoxious uh, as far as the comedy was concerned. And I don't I didn't you know, he's making, I guess, somewhat salient points, but I didn't find them new or interesting at all. Uh-huh. Uh, I, th- I wasn't even particularly impressed by like the tricks in quotes because I was like, OK, I see what you're doing and a lot of projection. A lot of like you got full use out of your projector, man. Sure, yeah. Good for you. <laughs> the key here, though. Is that like, yeah, like, like I, I see how you're doing it, but it's just like another one on top of another one on top of another one. It's just like, I can't believe you did this, this many of those tricks. Yes. I can't believe you did all of this. It is a lot of work. It, it is so much greater than the sum of its parts. Uh-huh. There's no other way I can describe it because I, yeah, I was not there for the comedy and I convinced he was playing a character the whole time. Honestly, uh, I, I'm, I'm not really convinced he was having much of a mental breakdown. Yeah. I'm and, honest, dude. and in but, general, I'm not a huge fan of like this modern sad comedy. Yeah, where it exactly. doesn't have to be funny. It just has to be real. It's definitely creative. And yes, and that's true. Like there, there are moments where it's like visually like, oh, it's cool that you got there, even though like. Like I said, I wasn't like trying to like piece together. Oh, how did he do that? I was like, oh, that was a creative like thing that you formed up in your head. It's That's obnoxious nice. creativity. At yes. Times too. Yes, I agree. Yeah. It, it's beating you over the head with how much work he actually did. Um, but, but the how much work it's like you, you, you got to throw him some kind of a bone. Of course. Jesus Christ. He was doing so much to, th- to throw this thing together. It is unbridled raw creativity. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It's yeah. just he's regurgitating creativity it's, every single day. It's and, very good. Yeah. Yeah. Putting a lot of really hard work into it. Like the scene with the Instagram, the white woman's Instagram, the amount of production design that went into that. If you look at each individual still uh, and also how it synchronized to the music, the video game sequence where he had to synchronize his commentary with that was, you know his avatar acting out the the motions the one where he's reacting to himself it's react, just great. i'm just like it's just a stroke of genius oh it's just my god amazing the music video like workout video thing it's yeah. just like a totally different style how about the puppet yeah how about the, the the pantomime or pantomime is the word but just the miming of the puppet um just really really fucking good like yeah. it's just impressive that he spent that much time getting good at puppetry in order to do that yep uh yeah it, it's uh it's one of those things I, I I just sort of felt depressed because it's like I'm never going to make anything like 
this. And I'm I, just not that hardworking enough. And I, I hold to what I said to you in response. Like, dude, I don't, I would never want to make something like yeah, this. Yeah, I guess he would it's, never want to be it, Bo Burnham. Because it's messy. Yeah. It is a, like, it, it's technically a disaster, but a great disaster. It's mm. just like, like you said, it's just raw, unbridled rage of creation being presented on screen. Is it coherent? No. No. Uh, but that's not really the point. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> but like, yeah, man, I wouldn't want to put myself through that. Like that, that's, that's the real thing. It's like, like, Bo, like, yes, you could do a lot when you have all the time in the world, but why would you want to do that? Yeah. It's, it's shipping a bottle. You know what I mean? It's like, you're just constructing this thing and making it incredibly hard for yourself for no real reason other than to do it. Now I like shipping the bottles. Like, Me too. I, like I, I like seemingly useless activities that mean something to the person doing it. Like a Rubik's cube is another thing. There's no reason why like Rubik's cube, um, uh, learning how to solve a Rubik's cube is satisfying or useful. It's just a thing that you do yeah. because you like doing it. It's visceral. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's visceral. Um, unless you're like a competitive Rubik's cube solver, I guess there's not really much more to it. This is sort of a, a similar thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, there's not, there are several individual points that he's making along the way. There are political statements and social statements and everything like that. But yeah, as a whole, it's just, I'm trapped alone and all I know how to do is create and he creates. Um, and it just drove me nuts thinking about all the takes this must have took. Yes. Like, like I, I imagine for us, we're thinking about, yeah, the takes, the takes of because they even show little like, like, uh, uh, allusions to like the takes. Like when he puts the flowers on his eyes, like, Oh God, he just like spent like a day working on just this part of the shot. <laughs> probably. Yes, right. And it's just like, Oh God. <laughs> like it was just making me nauseous. How, how many, how much footage he probably had. Right. And then he has to sift through it. And then the edit is just probably the biggest nightmare ever. The amount of memory cards, the amount of memory cards. Think about that. <laughs> the, the, the cameras he probably broke in the process. Yes. The, just the fucking mess he created in that little shack he was in yeah yeah like it's, it's crazy and to think no one was helping him i think there were two netflix people credited with like the sound engineering like maybe they did some post-production mixing but other than that no no one was reviewing the footage no one was helping him with the cinematography no one was doing the lighting for him it was literally him putting a camera on a tripod going in front of it testing out some footage and some setups and going back and correcting it's insane it's insane Yep, it good, was insane. Good for him, though. Yeah. Uh, what else did I watch? I watched uh, The Woman in the Window. Oh, I, it looked terrible. The much-delayed Amy Adams Netflix movie. I should say I actually saw part of this. Okay. And I, I walked away from it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, it's bad. It's bad. It's a bad movie. Joe Wright directed it. He was the director behind Darkest Hour a few years ago. Oh, interesting. And it's written by Tracy Letts, the, fade, the famed screenwriter. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah, the famed screenwriter who... Uh, and playwright actually who is now like developed into a pretty cool character actor with yeah, like lady bird and little women and Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, and it's got this dynamite cast, Amy Adams, Gary Oldman, Anthony Mackie, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, Wyatt Russell, Brian Tyree Henry, yep. uh, it really had all the makings of just a modern classic and it's terrible. It's a rear window ripoff. Is it? Okay. But I had a blast. I'll yeah. admit. I had fun with it, but uh, I understand why it was delayed for like three years. Yeah, my, my, my folks were watching it, and I'm just like, what, what is this? And 
it just goes nowhere. And it, 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 I don't know, it, to me, it, it wasn't much intriguing or, or new or, or about it. Like it felt very derivative. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go downstairs and watch Predator or something. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I watched Bad Trip. Which oh, I saw that you watched that. Is. <laughs> that was, I, 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 dude, no, I was not. I was not gonna take that plunge. I'm sorry. Is Eric Andre not your style? I can do the Eric Andre show, but like, I, it, there's a reason why it's it's the show is only like I don't know what is it, like 15 minutes long. Give it, give, give me <laughs> Eric Andre in very small snippets, but like, oh my god. It's like, it, it's it like is, acid, man. Yeah. Um, so this is a movie starring Eric Andre, Lil Rel, and Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. It's a prank movie. It's in the vein of Borat, all the Sasha Baron Cohen stuff. There's a ridiculous plot happening, and around the actors are civilians that just react naturally. Um, incredibly stupid, but like some legit belly laughs in this. Like there's just some like really fucking funny shit. Like when Eric Andre, who is disguised as a smoothie maker behind the counter of a smoothie shop, accidentally sticks his hand into the blender and blood starts spurting out. I mean, it's just really stupid shit like that. What I said in the letterbox review and I stand behind this, I'm not a Borat guy just because I think Sasha Baron Cohen uh, thinks himself a political martyr when really he's just a clown yep. that's doing Ashton Kutcher shit. And there's a self-seriousness and a cynicism to the Borat movies that I just don't buy. I don't think that it's particularly effective social commentary. You're not proving what you've set out to prove. No. Um, whereas Bad Trip, there's just joy. It's nothing but joy. There's no cynicism. There's no nastiness. Okay, Everyone they show at the end of it you know, the, the, um, the people after the camera stop rolling, they seem to like be in on the joke and, and they seem to be having fun with the joke. And like, I, I don't know, there was just something so pure and not mean spirited about it that I appreciate it just in relation to Borat, which hey, that's fine. I, I don't care for. I don't, I don't dislike Borat, but I haven't seen it in a very long time. And I think that says something. Yes. Uh, yeah. The mean spiritedness to Borat has always sort of bothered me. And I completely agree. I, I've never fully understood what point he was actually making because most of the, I don't know, things he uncovers just, I don't know, they feel more exploitative than anything. And that doesn't mm-hmm. really speak truth to the humanity. So all you really prove is that people are willing to help a guy with an accent. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. It's fine. It, or, or like you said before, a guy that's fucking nuts. It's, yeah. That's, that's a little different. Right. I mean, he's a lunatic and yeah, people will generally be empathetic towards lunatics if they see them on the street. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. It, I, I, I don't know. I just don't like that hidden camera stuff. I'm not into it, but uh, yeah, I, I liked bad trip. Good. For Good. What it was. Okay. And I, I guess I should say I saw a quiet place part two, but oh, um, right. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon. I gotta get to the theater. I haven't been back at the theater this year. Really? I haven't been back. Wow, I've been back a couple times. I'm going this Friday. Are you seeing in the Heights? Yep. Cool. Yeah, I, you know, I complain. I get on my high horse. Uh, why are these studios putting these things out on streaming services? And then they do it and I watch it on the streaming service. You know, I, 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 I it's there. It's on you, man. It's there. Yeah. I, I know. I it's wanna... also over there. You're not very far away. I know. You fucking lazy shit. I'm such a hypocrite. <laughs> I'm such a hypocrite. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into Albert Brooks. <laughs> okay. 1979's Real Life. Co-written by Monica McGowan Johnson and Harry Shearer. Oh. One of the minds, of course, behind The Simpsons. Cool. 
starring the late great Charles Grodin. We didn't talk about it. He just I died. know, yeah. I saw that he did pass, yeah. J.A. Preston and, of course, Albert Brooks. A film crew sets out to record a year in the life of an average family, but things quickly start going wrong. This is a send-off of the PBS series An American Family. It aired in the mid-70s, and it followed an average American family going about their day and is considered the first ever reality television show. It was a precursor for the reality television show genre. This movie takes it one step further. Let's follow the crew behind the reality show and take a peek at their reality. Um, And uh, so it's kind of a mockumentary, kind of uh, oddly prophetic about the future of the medium, the future of television. Talks about digital yeah. uh, fi- film, which is very surprising. So that was kind of great to see. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, what'd you think of it? Uh, it's a lot of dissonance with me personally, even though I think I think the first half is very boring and it's taken me a lot a while to get into it. And the second half is so much fun. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it, it, it all hinges on that second half. I, I like the movie. And if it wasn't for that second act, it, or Jesus, second half, it wouldn't have worked for me anywhere close to as well as it did. But um, I'm not sure if I responded to it as a mockumentary. It's very confusing if you watch it as that. And there are many instances where I'm taken out of the film trying to understand like what perspective we're in, which is not something I, I like. Like it, there's many instances in movies where if you cut to a specific shot and it's not totally thought out, it can be very disorienting. It's like if you cut to a shot of, uh, of like a single of a person looking at somebody else and the eye lines don't match up. That's mm. it's like the worst thing ever. So you need to be very, very careful about that. And not to say that this movie does that, but there are instances where it's like, I think I'm in the mockumentaries perspective. And then I'm, it's shown that I'm not. And I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 wait a second. I, there was a camera there that wasn't there before. And I'm just trying to like, maybe it's just because of I, I'm a, I'm a visual guy and I like the process a lot. And I'm trying to think like, wait, like, what what does this mean in the story so it's kind of a hard thing to unsee yeah once you start looking for it there's a shot in the fugitive it's one of my favorite movies ever yep but there's a shot when tommy lee jones you know uh he's he's in like the sewage plant and harrison ford jumps off and he says he did that peter pan right off the ledge here and tommy lee jones looks over the ledge and first you're in his perspective and then it cuts to a wide shot that's just seemingly on a tripod in the woods and the the camera pans out and shows you the entire perspective. And for some reason, that shot consistently bothers me. It's like, first, we're in someone's point of view. And then we break to this eye of God that makes no sense <laughs> in, the, in the flow of this scene. Yep. And yeah, anytime you see that, just because we're two nerds about this shit. Yes. And, and I felt the same way while watching real life there. Essentially, one of the running jokes is that the crew of this documentary wear these like futuristic space helmets <laughs> with cameras in them. with cameras in the eyes and also omnidirectional <laughs> microphones in the ears to emulate the experience of actually looking and listening to a particular scene. And this is where I come on the film side a little bit. Every time 
those guys comically ran across the screen. It's fantastic. It was really funny. It's so good. It was, it's like you get this massive, ridiculous, like horrible argument going on. And then this fucking idiot with this stupid helmet just runs across the screen. <laughs> like it was really, it really worked. Or like when he's in a wide shot and he's just holding his ears. Yeah. It was the funniest uh, thing. It's so good. Just take the helmet off. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> no need to film. Help me move the TV. <laughs> Got to be a documentarian though. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's, it is good. Uh, but yeah, sometimes they break the rules of the gimmick and yeah. it is a little annoying if you're a perfectionist like, like I am. Other than that though. Yeah. The first half, a little slow, a little stiff. I didn't like that opening at all. It Me just, neither. No, it kind of felt like an Albert Brooks showcase for no reason. I completely, I was watching it with Abby and we were, we were, I, we, I didn't finish it with her because she's just like, Adam, like, this is remarkably boring. <laughs> just like, yeah, I agree. All right, we'll watch something else. So then I went home and let's like, watch mother instead. Oh God, no, <laughs> <laughs> but then, we'll get there anyway. We, we, and then uh, yeah, I go home and I finish it and I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. It, it, it picked up a bit and, but that was nice. But yeah, yeesh that, that opening didn't work at all for me. Right. I mean, Albert Brooks finally unlocks his superpower in the back half and, he just makes it about his meltdown. Yep. And it's great. I mean, the argument that the producers and the psychologists have sitting around the table talking about the future of the project when he starts going off about how he has like uh, 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 an ID card to get into any airport lounge yep. and how he took a date to LaGuardia once <laughs> for dinner just because he could. <laughs> it's so good. The producer on the phone. I have two words for you. James Conn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, that shit is great. Like yep. the unraveling is fantastic. Yes. And also, by the way, shout out to Charles Grodin, who He's is really great. Such that. an underrated actor. Watching him just sort of play the straight man as the world around him unravels is so good. Albert Brooks actually talked about this when he cast Charles Grodin. Um, it was after he had seen him in the candid camera TV show. Um, and because Groden was so good at acting like he wasn't acting, at acting just like a regular guy in an extreme circumstance, he's like, yes, this is my dude to play an ordinary person. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's incredibly ordinary, but also extraordinary. <laughs> it's just the, so, the funniest ordinary guy I've ever seen where he's just like, we don't we don't normally talk like this at dinner. Yeah. And he's just got that awkward smile throughout like basically the whole movie. Oh, man. Yeah, it's 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 good awkward stuff in this movie, right? It is ahead of its time too. The yeah. uh, you know the idea of reality television, documentary filmmaking, the media firestorm that erupts around celebrities that are just famous for being famous, mm-hmm. um, paparazzi culture. It's you know it's a lot of that in there, and it's a good ten to fifteen years before its time in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, and yeah, I mean the meltdown at the end is wonderful. It's just classic Brooks, just per- perfect insanity. We yeah. need a shark. No, wait. Gone with the wind. <laughs> How did that one end? <laughs> the, the fact that he works from Star Wars <laughs> yeah. to Jaws to Gone with the Wind. Yeah. <laughs> Who needed a giant fish? It's beautiful and it's real. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was so good. Did you see him in his fucking clown outfit sitting in the garage watching <laughs> the it burn down? It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> this guy was just... Oh man, it's just the craziest dude. I, I I couldn't get enough of him by that second half. Oh my god. Yeah. It, it it's one of like those like everything you wanted to know about sex, but we're too afraid to ask Woody movies. Yeah. It I wasn't agree. romantic Woody, it was just like narcissist Woody that's gonna 
turn to the camera and tell you exactly what he's thinking. <laughs> well, there's one instance where it's actually kind of like depressing where he's like arguing with the uh, uh, producer. No, I think it was the scientist and the guy walks away. He's like, I'll do this for you. So on and so forth. And the guy like closes the door and then the cameraman sits down right in front of Albert Brooks and he's just like, mm. I was very upset when he left. <laughs> and it's both so funny, but like, you're just like, damn, this guy's lost his fucking it's mind. It's so desperate. Yeah, yeah, it is. I want to be here for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Where do you think I want to be? <laughs> and, of, and of course, there's a, <laughs> such a great meltdown. I can't get over how good the fucking meltdown is. And of course, there's the idea where it's like, you know, you, you, you like try to shoot for reality all you want. But the minute you put a camera in, in someone's face, it, it, it's gone. Right. Immediately. Right. There, so, there is no such thing as reality once you put a camera in the room. Yeah. Um, and the best documentaries and the best reality shows, frankly, are aware of that. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 best sort of interpretations of of reality as close as you can get to it is an awareness that what you're seeing is not actually real. Um, and this movie plays around with that idea sure. quite interestingly. Yeah. That's um, the most interesting thing. I don't think it's maybe a little more novel at the time. I think we're very used to it though. Sure. But yeah, the actual reality is the thing happening on the other side of the camera. Yes. So yeah, it, it's good. Yeah. It, it's not perfect. No, nope. it's definitely flawed. It's it's definitely like a first movie. It feels like a first movie. It's a good first movie, though. It I, is. I do have to admit it's a solid first effort. You know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's real life. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. It was on Criterion. I don't think it is anymore. I can find any of them on Criterion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think try. they took them all down. Yeah. I think I got I think Lost in America might have been on there. Yeah. Okay. Still. By the way, Roger Ebert gave it a one star review. Ooh. Uh, yikes. That's tough. That's not good. Quote, the irony of real life is that it fails as a satire on a film that fails by failing itself. Okay. That's Come good. on, Raj. Yeah. Try a little harder. Get off the hard, high <laughs> horse, Raj. Live a little. It's about stabbing. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, 1981's Modern Romance. Cart written as well by Monica McGowan Johnson, Brooks's frequent collaborator, starring Catherine Harold. Bruno Kirby, James L. Brooks. Yep. And I believe his final acting role. I don't think he's acted since this. Is that right? Yeah. And of course, Albert Brooks as well. Yeah. Not related. No. However, he is related to someone else on screen in this movie that we'll talk about in a minute. Mm -hmm. Albert Brooks directs himself as a successful film editor with far too many issues that affects the relationship between him and his remarkably patient girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good God, I adore this movie. Yes, I know you do. I love it so fucking much. <laughs> I might love it. Yeah, I might love it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I he, And here's where I'm just going to be totally honest with you, dude. It's this movie and all the other movies go away. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I could just talk about this one for an hour. Yes, <laughs> it's it's it, I wouldn't call it one of my favorites. It's not like it's not like one of those Francis Ha moments for me, but it is. Yeah, it's it's a great movie. It's like, what do you want? And I think uh, <laughs> just the, the conceit of making this movie centered around a film editor is very surprising to me. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie do that before. Uh, and it, it fits with a character like this, <laughs> mm. who's just this unhinged and anxious all the time and just has the quirkiest ideas on what he wants to do, but also just how that feeds into his romantic life. Oh mm. uh, boy. Yeah. This movie is, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of upsetting. <laughs> it's incredibly upsetting. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, de- dealing with, I mean, the realization by the end of it is like, you know, they, like 
the, these over-dominating men are just the, the worst things ever. <laughs> He's a fucking asshole, this yeah, guy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> this guy is an abusive partner but not just to his girlfriend to fucking everybody to everybody in his life <laughs> he's he a narcissist yeah. um he he engages at least in emotional violence if not like pure physical domestic violence mm-hmm. um there that bedroom scene in particular with him and the the girlfriend i mean that is just like emotional torture it's icky isn't it's it it's really it, icky ugh, yeah and the movie's not afraid to go there no but it's funny it's really yes, it, fucking funny. It, it's it, yeah, yes, I agree. And that is what I was hinting at earlier with the Woody Allen comparisons. Obviously, on the surface, this looks like another Annie Hall. This looks like sure. another Manhattan. But the laughs in Woody Allen movies generally are are a lot more gentle. You know, the the Woody Allen character's excuses are made for him. His behavior is just the behavior of a man child, and you get your kicks out of the fact that he's a man child, mm-hmm. and you laugh at his antics. Here the laughs are real yeah. and they're dark and they're deep. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy that you would not want your sister to date. This is not someone you would want as your friend. Not Bruno really, Kirby no. should not be hanging out with him. No, uh, but it's no less hilarious. In fact, in times it's, it's more hilarious. The scene with Bob Einstein at the sporting goods shop. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. <laughs> I was loving it. <laughs> Marty Funkhauser, of course, from Curb Your Enthusiasm, one of my favorites of all time. Super Dave Osborne, as rest he was in, known. Rest in peace, of course. Yeah. Albert Brooks, his real brother. Yep, I know. Albert Brooks, fun fact, his given name was Albert Einstein. Was it? That's his name. Aw. <laughs> Changed his name to Albert Brooks to enter show business. <laughs> you know what? It was the right move. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's Awesome. But Bob Einstein kept his name. Yeah, yeah, because that, that works. Yeah. Albert. I- so we have two famous Albert Einstein. That's correct. What the hell? <laughs> two geniuses named Albert Einstein. Because I, I was I was wondering, okay, who changed the name? Right. Yeah, because I knew that they were brothers, but I was like, okay, well, there's, there's some history here, but what is it? I didn't know that. Mind-blowing when I learned that fact. That's fascinating. Yeah. Albert Einstein. But uh, yeah, the, t- the scene when they're like talking about tennis shit oh my god it's just out of this world just the way but bob einstein delivers his lines in the driest (laughs) way you could possibly do it oh i I just think it's so entertaining i just love that character every time he's on screen james l brooks in the edit bay that is something that only someone in show business would really know how to write uh and it's just brilliant i think i like it the other way it's a crush like again that's another moment where it's like really funny to me but it's like Oh my god! Like, like I, I, I completely get it. I completely understand it. And I, I, the, the, the upsetting part is like I understand both sides of the argument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have, I have a fondness for one over the other. I agree with Brooks's interpretation. I think which Brooks, right, uh, Albert. <laughs> okay, Mr. Einstein. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I completely agree with that. Yes. One. Yeah, I agree with Albert Einstein's theory. <laughs> which Albert Einstein? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that at dinner parties from now on. <laughs> That's a good idea. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, Einstein used to say about gravity, which Einstein are we talking about? Which Al are we talking about? I'm here, sure people? Albert uh, Brooks <laughs> has made plenty of compelling theories about gravity. So, hey, who knows? <laughs> sure. This is how you know the movie is like such a good deconstruction of obsessiveness and, and, um, and just like the the darkness that lives in the soul of man. After the movie 
came out in 1981. A man by the name of Stanley Kubrick gave Albert Brooks a call and said, you know what? I've always wanted to make a movie about jealousy. Fast forward a few years later, Eyes Wide Shut comes out. Like this is truly an effective character study and kind of a bit of psychological terror. If you really think about it, do you think he intended for it to be like this profound? Though? I don't know because I'm not sure. I mean, cause it definitely works as that. I thought it was by far the most mature entry of all of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, like I don't think he understood just like how deep cutting some of the behavior in this is mm. like where he's running on the track and he's going to get his life together and he just immediately swerves off to the payphone. Mm. It, it's again, every, every time there's a laugh, it's like you said, it's always counterbalanced with that really deep seated darkness that's boiling in, underneath this character that we can all kind of relate to. Right. Yeah. Oh, boy. it is monstrous. Like even the scene in, at, at towards the beginning of the movie with the phones when he's in his apartment mm-hmm. where he picks up Ellen. Yeah. That driving scene where it's just that oh long take. Goodness. God, I loved it. That's the best scene in the movie. <laughs> that long take. And just to show you yeah. the superpower of Albert Brooks's face, he picks up this yep. date, does a circle around the block. You are just square at his face, unflinching. <laughs> They pull right back in. I'm not ready for this right now. It's <laughs> one of the hardest laughs I've had in the last five years watching movies. And then she's just left there all alone. I felt so bad for her. Yeah. I just don't think I'm ready for this. Oh my God. And then he goes to the fucking grocery store to get his girl, ex-girlfriend, a fucking a, a giraffe. Like, yeah. Oh. And it, it's worse by the fact that it works out. The fact that she's like, oh, I love the, the giraffe. Come on over. Because you know the cycle is just going to repeat and repeat. You're right. Yeah, Ugh. you've seen these relationships in your real life. Yeah. I'm sure you know people that are in like a similar codependency. Yeah. And, and that's what makes the ending so interesting. Because on one hand, it has that where are they now closing credits that I always hate. And I it is my, the one fatal flaw of this movie and actually all of his movies. Yes. I just wish he okay. ended his movies on that moment. I, I was very, okay, thank you because... But it, it kind of just softened the blow of that ending, you know? A little bit. I, I do ha- agree, though. I think there's a way to still emphasize that idea while, I don't know. I don't, it, it's just a really upsetting idea. Like, you could have played into it because I don't need that softness. I, I, in a way, need to be reminded that, you know, it's this is not a, the thing that anyone should want to go through. It's kind of nasty. And they just further emphasize the fact that it's just going to keep on repeating. Mm-hmm. And that's very sad and upsetting. And it's has the Albert Brooks ending. Honestly, they, they're kind of all the same. They are. And I don't think it ever really quite worked. It was fine enough, and but I always wanted more. That scene in the cabin, and think about that image too. You're in the middle of the woods with your partner. You feel trapped, kind of like misery. Think about all of like the great cabin scenes in cinema. None of them are happy. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's all horror movie shit. And, you know, to play it as a happy ending with a twist is really effective. I love that idea. The yep. idea that this is the same familiar rom-com ending you've seen a hundred times over, but just in a slightly different context. Yep. And there's that icky taste in your mouth that just lingers there. By putting the credits up, you've turned it into another sort of generic comedy. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that they get back together and then break up in a couple months and then get back together again. Like, you didn't need that, man. Which makes me think that he didn't totally know what he had here. Right, right, right. You know, and, you know, I, 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 I certainly think it's a great movie, but it is moments like that where I go like, you know, if you had just, just pulled away, you know. Yes. And just let us sit with the idea, like, is she really going back with this guy? Yeah. Because you would have, 
thought like, is this just going to keep happening again and again and again? Right. And just leave the audience with that, you know, which is ironic (laughs) given the fact that there's a scene earlier in the movie as an editor where he's like, don't tell the audience anything. Right. So I was like, okay, well, yeah, there's a little bit of double talk there. I, I agree. It is difficult to see where Albert Brooks ends and where the movie starts, where this character starts. Yeah. I'm sure there's enough of it in there. You know, I'm sure there's enough of him and his neuroses and his toxicity in the character. I, I have to think it's a little more self-aware and a little more knowing. But yeah, that, that ending is it is just the one chink in the armor. It's that one fatal flaw. Yeah. Other than that, though, it, just some of the, the hardest laughs I've had in a movie like this <laughs> okay. in such a long time. Um, and it's because it's so real. And uh, yeah, goodness gracious. <laughs> Kubrick likes it. That's good enough for me. That's true. That, <laughs> that's very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's an awesome movie. R.I.P. Bob Einstein. Yeah. That was upsetting. I just I love Bob Einstein. God. Legit candidate at the time of his death for funniest man on the planet. Like that's how just hysterical that guy was. God, he really was. P.S. Your cunt is in the sink. <laughs> God, I wish I could do a good <laughs> Marty Funkhauser voice. I'm an orphan, Larry. <laughs> Wait, you be 90 and be an orphan? Don't you touch my yamaka. <laughs> that's pretty good. Don't you dare touch that. <laughs> great, great. Would you finish the fucking joke? <laughs> uh, she's insecure about the size of her opening. Her what? Her opening. <laughs> you have any idea how fast you were playing? <laughs> That's some classic stuff. Okay. Wow. Modern romance. So good. Yeah. Very good. So good. Very, okay. Very good. Next up, Lost in America from 1985. Co-written again, Monica McGowan Johnson, frequent collaborator. Starring Julie Haggerty, Gary Marshall. Oh, Gary Marshall in this movie. And Albert Brooks, a husband and wife in their 30s, decide to quit their jobs, live as free spirits and Cruise America in Winnebago. AFI called this the number 84 comedy of all time. It was perhaps the most well-received critically and commercially of Albert Brooks's work. Um, a take on Nomadland, if you will. Kinda. It is one of those movies. I think I have this as a list on Letterboxd. Non-horror movies that horrify me. Oh, really? That sort of give me the heebie-jeebies. Francis Ha was the original one. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, this one, I watched it. I was so fucking uncomfortable during the first act. <laughs> okay, okay, I see. So uncomfortable. There are moments like that, actually, even for me, for sure. You know, the moment of like falling asleep and then your wife takes all your money to go downstairs to gamble. Yes. Ugh, no. The conversation with Gary Marshall. How much is he down? A, A lot. <laughs> that was bad. How much? A lot. A lot. <laughs> A lot. He's unbelievable in that scene, Gary yes. Marshall. Oh, that, but the, the scene where he goes up to talk to him again, though. <laughs> yeah. Here's a promotional idea. We're done talking. This is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in advertising. <laughs> Always with the hands. This is what I do. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> yeah, so the premise is, uh, it, it, this is another thing I love about movies like this. Where it's going in the second half is 
impossible to predict after watching the first half. Yeah, sure. You know, the, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I just watched Kenneth Lonergan's Margaret, mm-hmm. and I wrote this on uh, my Letterboxd review. The idea that that is a movie purely about life in that it is impossible to predict what will happen the next day. Yeah. And sometimes it feels a little off kilter and you don't know where to find your footing in the story and in the rhythm of the movie. But you realize when you see a movie like that, unpredictability is really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really fucking hard. And we maybe consider the sixth sense to be unpredictable. Maybe we consider fight club to be unpredictable. Like, Movies with superficial twists or just like, you know, a a headline generating moment at the end. But to actually subvert the expectations of your audience on a plot level in the DNA of the movie, it's really impossible. And this one does that. I mean, you think this movie is going to be Easy Rider. And in the second half, uh, I don't know, you're watching Last Picture Show, you know, (laughs) I guess you think it's a movie about hitting the open road. And then by the end of it, there is no road to travel on because you're out of money. Were you compelled by that twist? I was. Okay. I was. You weren't? No. Okay. (laughs) Biggest failing of this movie is like, I I like where, I I, I think it's just generally entertaining because of Albert Brooks and because the way he's playing off of, what's that actress's name again? Julia Haggerty. Julia Haggerty. They're wonderful in the movie together. Mm -hmm. And I just like them trying to figure out life having nothing. Like that's a fun idea for me. But like, Honestly, where they go, I wasn't particularly moved by it. You know, there's a few moments here and there that were a lot of fun. Uh, it, it was amusing to me that a cop would give them a pass for a ticket because he liked Easy Rider. And I'm like, <laughs> there's not a single cop on this fucking planet that appreciates Easy Rider. Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. No fucking way. But the cops uh, are not exactly the good guys in that movie. No. Yeah. It's like, wh- you, oh, you saw, the, I don't think, I think you saw a different movie, buddy. And maybe you didn't stick around to the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's also that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know about this. I, I liked it. I think it's my second favorite of the list just because it is just a lot of fun, but mine too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm sort of, I, there's, there's a lot keeping me back from like, like, I don't know, appreciating it on that level or being compelled by, by where it's going. I, I maybe that's just the other thing. Like, wh- like, I, like I was saying, like the fact that it, it goes to the, the position of them wanting to hit the open road and then they have to get a job. It's like, do you think the movie loses steam? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. So this is something that Ebert pointed out in his review, and I think it's really interesting because I, I look at the entirety of Brooks's filmography and I see a through line now. These characters choose to leave society. Mm-hmm. This is something brought about by their own neuroses or like insecurities. A lot of times in movies like this, it's because someone gets fired from the job. It's it's an external force that's compelling the action of the movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas Albert Brooks movies exist entirely in the characters' heads. Yeah. All of the conflict is internal here. Mm -hmm. Like, it's all self-imposed. We'll talk about that when we get to Mother a little bit. And it's actually one of the reasons I didn't care for Mother that much. Mm -hmm. Um, It's cool here. There's something more tragic about the fact that all of the bad events were totally within the character's own control. Yeah. You could have stopped gambling. You could (laughs) have just kept your job. You could have moved to New York. You know, you didn't have to do this. And so the fact that this was just something done on a whim as a person that is often haunted by his own anxieties and fears and decision making more than the outside world. I I understand where he's coming from here. You know, there's there's something about like the impulsiveness of these characters that that's the greatest enemy. Like, how do you fight that man? How do you fight a gambling addiction? 
You don't really. Yeah. <laughs> you keep someone away from Vegas, as they say. Sure. Yeah. No, that is certainly the point. And I kept saying like, okay, yeah, why don't you just go go back to New York? And eventually they do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like, like I mean, it's, it's fun to watch like an anxiety film. Like Uncut Gems is a similar sort of thing where it's like most of the problems in that movie were brought on because Adam Sandler, you didn't need to go and sell the Celtics ring or pawn it off. That's just a bad idea. But at <laughs> least in that movie, there are gangsters that are for lack of a better term, the villain or antagonist of the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, the, whereas in these movies, like the, if there is an antagonist, it's always Albert Brooks, really. Correct. So yeah. modern romance, totally internal. Yeah. I mean, that those are just two people with issues. Real life. Honestly, it's the same thing. He's definitely the bad guy of that movie, really. Right. Yeah. Th- sure. That one's a little different because, yeah, the, the family are the victims. Yes. You know? Like, and so, but, you know, defending your life, even though it's a guy that ends up dying he decided to swerve into the, the bus by like reaching over and going for the tape. Like I, th- there's, there's not a lot of external tragedy. It's internal tragedy more often than yeah, not. Yeah. A lot of self deprecation. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that, that really as a person that likes to gamble from time to time, I, th- there was something very tangible about the, the conflict here. And also the Hoover dam meltdown as Nicholas winning yeah. reference that is just out of this world. Great. Yes. It's great. Is it, but yeah, that, again, like, and you see this all the time with this movie, like when people cite like imagery from this movie, that's the one that comes up a lot and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the best scene in the movie for me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm sorry if I'm a little muted on it. Cause I do, I did enjoy the movie. It's just, I don't know, quite know what to talk about with it. You okay. know, aside from just like moments that I like, you know, it's like, I was thinking about this too. It's like when you talk about like movies that are like bringing up like interesting observations about humanity. And how like there's there's I mean many movies do this. There are movies that do it with like uh, sort of stylized imagery or very out there stuff, or movies that ground it to to like a human level like this. And there you know movies that do ground it like this. You know, I feel like there's far more that don't quite reach me. I don't know why that is, but I was thinking about this in relation to like when Harry met Sally of all things, hmm. and I was like why does that movie like like compel me with like what it's saying and this movie compels me on more of like just a like a visceral entertainment level and i'm not really thinking about like what it has to say and i was like well because like i i thought about men and women can't be friends Mm. and how that just is just the most impactful person to person conversation you can have and just one of the more great realizations i had as a film goer Mm. Because that's one of those observations that changes your your entire worldview. Mm. It's like one of those great impactful moments where it's like, you know, I've never considered that idea. And even if I don't 100% agree with it, I understand how much truth there is to it. And you can't get it out of your head. Mm. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like it makes like a really deep seated impression where it like bothers you and you lose sleep over it. Whereas like I didn't quite get that with like many of the observations in any any of these films aside from maybe a little bit of modern romance but that's about it you and i are different in that way i I think like the idea for me of just like losing my entire nest egg in vegas and being forced to take a a, like a crossing guard job in arizona yeah that's my hell (laughs) to me it's like yeah you want to illustrate hell there it is right there guys and to me i'm like well i would never be in Vegas with a fucking nest egg <laughs> period. <Right>. Sure. <laughs> and even if I would, I wouldn't be stupid enough to lose it. So yeah, fair enough. And the ending I will say is maybe my favorite Albert Brooks ending when they come to the realization. So this- what's your plan? Go back to New York 
and I eat shit. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that was a great book. It's like, okay, just guys, just do it. You think of what I'm thinking? It's like, stop trying, just go. Yeah, I love that. And I eat shit is one of my favorite lines. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's Lost in America from 1985. It's becoming very clear which one is getting into the movie Hall of Fame, by the way. No, I think it's blatantly out. Like, I watch these movies, like, it's not even a competition. Yeah. 1991's Defending Your Life is next, starring Meryl Streep. God, this guy's got some balls right and apart from Meryl Streep. <laughs> Rip Torn, one of our faves, and of course, Albert Brooks. In an afterlife way station resembling a major city, the lives of the recently deceased are examined in a court-like setting. If you've seen the NBC sitcom The Good Place, there's definitely a, a lot of obvious similarities. The sort of mundane take on the afterlife, the idea of uh, being stuck in purgatory and reflecting on the potential of your life rather than just if you were a good or bad person is, uh, you know, something will, that will be familiar to you. If you've seen that show, mm-hmm. this is, uh, this is a movie that should be so much better than it actually is. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Right. <laughs> I think we're on the same page with this one. I like it a lot. I really do. But I, I wonder if part of that admiration is for the idea, not for the execution. It's kind of what it is for me. Dude, I have nothing to say about this movie. I really don't have anything to say. This is like a, like, like cute, like cable fare as far as I'm concerned. And I hate to say that because I love Albert Brooks so much and, and not to say that all of his, his charm is lost here. Uh, but like, like whatever, whatever, like a lot of like the things he's saying are fairly weak and or, I don't, they're not weak inherently, but they're very familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this done so much better in so many other movies, honestly, I I don't know. I don't know. Too- I haven't seen Heaven Can Wait with Hoffman. Have you seen that? No. Okay. Because that's another afterlife movie. Did James L. Brooks work on that? You know. Movie's kind of similar to Soul. Yeah, but you don't like Soul. No, I don't. <laughs> so, yeah. I didn't hate this movie. Like I said, like, it's, it's, it's cute enough. It's an enjoyable, like, pleasant, sort of languid watch. It's fine in that way. But... I- I don't know. Like, what What do you have to say about this one? <laughs> huh. Okay. Well, again, I love the idea that um, you're judged by whether or not you've lived up to your potential. Um, I like the idea that fear is your biggest inhibitor of, of living up to that potential. And the idea of reviewing these individual scenes, it, that, that's a clever bit of exposition. I don't know. Like, it is a clever storytelling device. Um, and I also like the idea. I just think there's a lot of comedy in the fact that the afterlife just looks like, I don't know, like St. Louis. Was it funny to you? I I just, there were some moments like when they're on the tour bus at the beginning and the, the, like the, the person giving the tour says we have several championship golf courses. (laughs) Like, I just like the idea, like championship, they, they play championship golf up here. Like they have like the PGA (laughs) stops by for guess. This this afterlife town, yeah. I mean, like that stuff when when uh, when Rip Torn at the beginning of the movie learns the result of a verdict that he's been working on, and he says there is a god. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, I guess. No, there's also a great scene too where they're showing the flashback when Albert Brooks was in in like grammar school, and the teacher is like educating him to how much the supplies cost. Did you catch this? 
And there's a bunch of kids that are that are, He asked the class, like, how much do you think these, uh, this piece of paper, this notebook costs? And they go, and some of the kids go seven and some of them go seven fifty. <laughs> and then he asked, and how much do you think this costs? And what is that total? 13, 1350. <laughs> I, there, I don't know. There, there was stuff that there, there were flashes of, I think, brilliance, but on the whole, kind of just your standard Albert Brooks, Meryl Streep rom-com. Yeah. And I'm not like, I, eh, I'm like struggling here. Like even, even those two together, like Meryl, like, I don't know. Meryl's Meryl. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't particularly moved by her. She's fine. You know, like she's never putting in a bad performance, but like, you know, you get, when you get used to so many good things, it's like, okay, I need a little more from you. But, but that to her credit though, the movie's not giving her a whole lot, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's just a couple cute scenes of them like eating together. And is their chemistry all that good? It does kind of feel like Albert Brooks got his dream casting. Yes. You yeah. know, it, cause I think like he ran into Meryl at a, at a Carrie Fisher party and <laughs> he was like, I'm working on this new movie. And Meryl jokingly said, Oh, do you think I would be good for the part? And he's like, yeah, now that you mention it. And that's how it got. So it kind of feels like he's punching out of his league here. It, it kind of feels like this should be, you know, like a, a Sharon Stone performance, not a Meryl sure, Streep performance. Sure, yeah, I agree with you that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It could be like a Liza Minnelli performance for sure. all I care. Yeah. And, and it would work just fine. Yeah. Barbara Streisand here would oh, work. Oh, yeah. Good fine. idea. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. She kind of stuck out to me. It is a little on the nose being like, who am I going to cast as a literal angel in this movie? And it's going to be the greatest living actress. Yes. You know, it's like, come on, dude. It is a little too much. She feels overqualified. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the character of Al Brooks in this is not nearly as interesting. It, I, frankly, this is the least interesting character that I've, I've seen him play, even including mother. Oh, see, I disagree with that. You think this character is more interesting than mother? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't love his character of Mother either, but like... I really didn't like Mother. Ooh. I really okay. didn't. Yeah. He still uses the same tricks that work. I mean, just the him sitting in that chair as he's reviewing his life, his face as that chair slowly rotates after every scene, there are some laughs you can get out of that. When he's in the assembly line as he's being wheeled out in the wheelchair and everybody, all these old people are wearing white, seeing that stoic look on his face... I can't describe his character. I just think he's so boring. Yeah, I really do. At least like, like at least in mother, he's entertaining enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I can identify who that person is to a T. Yeah. I don't, I, like, I don't know who he is in this movie. So, which is interesting. Cause it's a movie that literally walks you through every stage of his life and explains to you who he is. Sorry. Yeah. That's an interesting point. It is the most on the nose. Albert. Brooks yeah, movie. I, I agree. Yeah. With it, that. In that he turns to the camera several times and explains it to you. I know. Um, it is. It's definitely a bit much for me. Yeah. I didn't, like I said, I didn't, I don't hate us or I don't really even dislike a single movie on this list. They're just, you know, half hearted likes for some of them. You know, mm-hmm. they're fine, you know, and this is one of them. Rip Torn's good. Yeah. He's always good. When oh. is Rip Torn bad? Never. He's good in fucking Freddy Got Fingered. Amazing in that. You can eat that goddamn roast beef or you can go to bed. There is a small, <laughs> sinister group of people on the internet that has done a lot of legwork. So to what do you mean? Into rejuvenating the reputation of Freddie Got Figured. It's it's happening. Yeah, I know. It's small, it's quiet, but it's there. Yeah. They're lurking. 
They're ready to strike and ignore them at your own peril. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ignore the Freddy Got Fingered crowd at your own peril. That's all I'm going to say. I think YMS likes it. Your movie sucks, that guy. Yeah, there, there, there have been some people on film Twitter that I have seen dabble with that take. There's some five-star letterbox reviews I've seen of it. What? Yeah. Genuine. Oh. Genuine oh. reviews. Not like trolling reviews. Like paragraph-long defenses of Freddy Got Fingered. It's, okay, it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. I've, I've still seen Birdemic, but uh, guys, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just asking questions. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, at your own peril. At your own peril. Be careful. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had something more to say about defending your life. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know, dude. It's a movie that a lot of people, uh, that I've seen cited by a lot of people as as one that they love, sort of an underrated gem. But um, yeah, I, I I wish he made it 10 years earlier. Sure. It's one of those movies I wish like he had a little more edge. hunger, a little more edge. Yeah. It has no edge, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's the problem. Yeah. All right. Finally. Mother. 1996's mother. Not to be confused with Bong Joon-ho's mother from 2009. Or. Or Darren Aronofsky's mother from 2017. Yep. Sorry, that's pronounced mother. There it is. <laughs> mother co-written again by monica mcgowan johnson starring debbie reynolds rob morrow and albert brooks a neurotic twice divorced sci-fi writer jesus christ this fucking guy it's the same character every time uh moves back in with his mother to solve his personal problems (laughs) so this is what i talked about sorry if i go on my soapbox a bit here but when ebert was talking about how the drama and the conflict and lost in America is internal. I think it works there. I, I think it just totally doesn't work here. Okay. I don't get the conceit of this movie. I think the conceit is actually kind of weak and there is something to Debbie Reynolds and Albert Brooks in like an odd couple sitcom situation. I don't mind that part of the movie. That's fine. But the idea that Albert Brooks just moves back in with his mom because he <laughs> wants to. Yeah. Because he's doing some sort of experiment, which is never really explained other than it's an experiment and I want to learn shit. It, th- there wasn't enough immediate conflict. There wasn't uh, high enough stakes. And I know that's silly to say about like a pretty harmless comedy. But like you have to put that character through hell in order for you to really get maximum laughs out of it. <laughs> you need to torture the guy. He can't be enjoying himself. No. And sometimes like the old movie tricks our old movie tricks for a reason. And yeah, the son should not want to move in with his mother as much as you want to subvert those expectations. I just found this to sort of be feckless feckless. Huh? Yeah. Okay. I I just found it to be a nothing movie. (laughs) I I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I mean, if you want to really struggle to pull out like what it's doing in terms of what it's saying, I mean, it has something to comment about like, like the the way you view yourself in the wake of you know someone else else close to you, like the the, the feelings you feel towards that, like like in terms, of <laughs> imagining the life that could have been. There's something there's something to be said about like how parents view their children and how children view their parents because of the way the parent thinks about them. Oh, that is all explicitly stated that's, in the third act and, of the movie. And yeah. that's the problem. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. there's nothing subtle about it whatsoever, but there's, you know, some familial ideals where it's like, you know, like 
like what really matters the 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 brother that takes interest in the mother or the one that just sucks up to her not really new again it's like fine you know it's not like horribly it's not a bad movie uh but like no it is definitely not bad it is quantifiably okay <laughs> yes and that's where i keep coming it's so okay and when you when you're talking about the conflict and how he just decides to do it it's it just feels like the most random thing. I was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Right. The fact that that's what the premise revealed itself to be was actually quite shocking to me. Yes, and the build up to it is just not well done. Yeah, and frankly, maybe he wanted to make a more subtle movie. Maybe he wanted to subvert some of those expectations. I mean, he's a thoughtful guy. He's a thoughtful screenwriter. I understand it on paper. Like you, you want a more like interrogative version of what's like a pretty tried and true story that's what the premise is though you know it should be a little more serious than that but it's still a a fucking comedy you know what i mean like it's like and and comedy is tragedy plus time right it's pain it's it's surprise it's not just a mother and son bickering Yes. You yeah, know? that's so much of the movie is just that, isn't it? it? It wasn't a big enough swing. No. You know, and that that was the thing. And, you know, often I talk about on this show, I like it when movies play it small and you're an advocate for playing it big. And this is an instance where you have to go bigger than this. I'm yes. not saying you have to go as big as possible, <laughs> but you got to go bigger than this. Yes. Oh, God, absolutely. I didn't feel bad for Brooks. I didn't feel no. bad for Debbie Reynolds. I, I didn't feel bad for anyone on screen. I didn't feel bad for the brother. No. It, you know, I just thought it was frankly inconsequential the whole thing i just thought was an inconsequential exercise and i didn't fucking laugh i didn't laugh either and i love albert brooks and the guy makes me laugh constantly there's none of that here i can't tell you anything about this guy other than he's a writer and he likes that his mom's a writer too (sighs) he's a you know he's a he's a cynical ambitious type who's uh, critical of his family dynamics and you know, it doesn't really see a whole lot of point in, in, in like, like committing more than they already have. It's a really like, like his worldview on that is pretty upsetting. Uh, but again, it's often played for laughs and I don't quite get that. He's also not as tragic as it could be. No, 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 exactly. So, and that's part of the issue. It's like, it, it, like you said, it needed to take itself a little more seriously than it did. You know, because I think it just saw the idea of like, oh, guy moves back in with his mom. How goofy is that? That's like the the feel of the movie. Right. But the, but the actual like scene by scene basis in the writing don't quite reflect that at times. It's just it's generic. Yes. And it's it, I, I just keep coming back to this. You have to torture your leads a little bit if you want to get true comedy. <laughs> yeah. That's just the way it is, man. That's why pratfalls work. That's why like hitting the 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 uh the burglars with like a tire iron in home alone is effective Mm -hmm. you have to push your characters to the limits and then you can bring it back at the end you can give them a happy ending that's all well and good but like along the way this is literally sitting in a therapist office with these two people and watching them talk through their problems and their differences and how one likes a certain brand of peanut butter and one likes the other now listen maybe that is rife material for drama yeah you know like maybe you can make like a serious meditative drama about it but as a comedy you gotta go harder this thing needs more teeth it's the nature of comedy it had no teeth no no not at all and uh like honestly the conclusions it 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 lands on are just not satisfying yeah frankly yeah like like yeah you resented like i said before you resented me because i prevented you from doing what you always wanted to do is that the best you got Mm. 
I'm like, I don't care. I also just don't believe like a lot of mothers would behave that way, honestly. Mm. Uh, and here's the the really big thing that just annoyed the shit out of me. It's like, I know like Albert Brooks' character learned what the deal was. The experiment was a success. I didn't really feel like he changed that much though. I can't really tell you where he started to that's, be honest. Yeah, with you. I mean, that's part of it. Like his character is kind of amorphous in that way. Yeah. yeah. So in that way, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that aspect. Yes. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like where, where's the, the, I don't know, the emotional journey here. Cause even when, like, again, even when he figures out what the deal is, it's, he, you know, he doesn't feel like a different person at all. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really feel upset or happy about it. It's just the way he's been. Yeah. It's a kind of a shrug to me. Totally agree. It is really hard to imagine that just 15 years earlier, this guy made modern romance, which is just so just drenched in character and also drenched in tragedy. Um, Yeah. This one, it's soft. Yes. The ending is soft. The scenes in the middle are soft. Debbie Reynolds, frankly, is soft. I like Debbie Reynolds a lot. She's a Hollywood legend, all that soft in this man. You need someone with a little more bite. You needed someone that, uh, could could bicker back and could hold her own against Albert Brooks. I mean, no, that's she's, she's not working here. I'm sorry, she's not. If you're holding it up to the size that is uh, modern romance, it's it it doesn't hold up at all. But yeah. if it's you know as a cable movie, there's nothing wrong with throwing this movie on in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an inoffensive movie. It's fine in that way. Like I said, like there's no, it's you. I don't. If you were to call this a, a, a bad movie and be serious about it with me, I'd just you know, be very confused by the notion mm. and I wouldn't really understand where you were going to make your points. But, uh, yeah, when it comes to the idea that this movie just, ha- just, just lacking, you know, in, in bite or just losing all potential that it could have had. Yeah. You know, you can definitely see where this could have been a much more intriguing, you know, exploration of its own ideas, but mm. yeah, it's, they're kind of squandered for just accessible generic stuff. It is kind of weird that we're waxing poetic about like the conflict within mother from 1996. No one has ever given this movie that much thought. And in fact, like the critics, I think we're mostly positive. Ebert gave it like three and a half stars. Like you check the Rotten Tomatoes score. I think it's like upper seventies. Yeah. I mean, people liked it at the time just because they saw it as inoffensive comedy. Um, but, but it, yeah. <laughs> when I was done with that, I'm like, yeah, why, why did we do Albert Brooks? <laughs> I'm sorry that we ended it, on this. It's note. like, yeah, I mean, no, and it sucks. Cause I have to reiterate a fucking love Albert Brooks, even still, of course. But, yes. But yeah, like, like as far as like his directorial career, like, you know, I lose his steam towards the it, end. It certainly does. I just think that these movies work better on like in the best of 1985 list or best of 1981 list, you mm-hmm. know, it's like singular conversations, but the entirety of his career, you know, only, I only have so much to say about it. Okay. Well, we said a decent amount about it. We're at the end of the podcast, and I think that was chock full of insight. I don't know about you. It was good enough. Okay. I don't. I don't. I don't have a quote, so I'm just going to pull something out of my ass. Congratulations to Modern Romance. Yes. (laughs) For induction into the movie Hall of Fame. Uh. All right. I am going to Florida next week. Yes, he is. Sunny Florida. Home of DeSantis. Home of freedom, really. Home of freedom? Yeah. You can go and do whatever you want. It's the freest place on earth right now. Florida? Uh, Florida, baby. (laughs) Uh, So you're going to need to think of a topic, and I'll try to squeeze in the movies where I can. Okay. But uh, we'll talk in two weeks. Sweet.
All right. That's we could it. we could do a movie review. Could just say, hey, let's just do review of Quiet Place Part Two. If I see it, I don't know if I'll see it by then. Well, come on. Well, I'm, I'm, I have a flight in two days. I don't know. You can see it when you get back. It's two weeks. Go see. It's a little out of date by then, though, right? What? It came out like two weeks ago already. Oh, you don't want to talk about it? No, I, no, it's not that I don't want to talk about it. I just feel like the listeners would <laughs> don't care. <laughs> they won't care by then, certainly. Well, that's sad to say about. <laughs> the and by, it seems like you liked it just fine, but I there did, might not yeah. be enough meat on the bone. I, I, I honestly, it's more of the same. Okay, it's a good movie, but yeah, it's pr- pretty much just more of the same. Okay, yeah. Think something up. There, there is a Fast and Furious movie coming out. <laughs> that could be a funny podcast for me. <laughs> have we beat that dead horse? Yes, we have. As, uh, Would it be overkill to do a Fast and Furious podcast? It might. Oh, like a like a to like, do the whole series. I have to watch more movies. What do you think? Yeah. We've talked Fast Five already, and I think we've talked Tokyo Drift. Yes, we have. But we have not talked about the rest of them. No. No. Which ones would you nominate? Um, <laughs> one, three, five, six, seven, I think, would be how I do it. Okay. Okay, fine. Shall we do it? I'm okay. Yeah, I got to see... I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember anything about six, so I should probably rewatch it. But yeah, if you want, uh, I just feel like we've—I don't know—we've milked this bit for all it's worth. Only we if talk a lot of fast on the show. You talk a lot of fast. It's not by. It's, yeah. it's not my doing. Yeah. Okay, think it over. Okay, we may have to do that though. All right, because I will be seeing that in a movie theater the day it comes out, perhaps the midnight beforehand. I'm I'm so fucking pumped. Dude. I know you are so excited. I know you are. <laughs> All right. Love you. Also very, very much. Uh, check out the website. Too many thoughts, media.com or TMT.media for more of our bullshit. And there's a lot of it these days. Oh yeah. Until next time. He defecated through a sunroof. <laughs>